0: Well, I do want to thank you for the opportunity. I just hate that it happened under these circumstances. I've lived in this area for, well, in Lawrence County for 15 or 16 years, and I've never been out here, and it is a beautiful drive to come out here. Uh, so, so just thank you for the opportunity this morning. We are going to be in Second Chronicles uh, 7.14 I've titled the message, As the Church Goes, So Goes the Nation. Has anybody ever heard that saying before? Uh, I added something to it. I think I might have read it somewhere, but uh, that goes before that. As the family goes, so goes the church. Um, And what I see in 2 Chronicles 7-14 is some things that God tells Solomon that he expects or he... Uh, Holds his people to. Uh, And so I'm going to look at uh, the people of God, uh, the actions of God's people, those things that God holds his people to, and then God's faithfulness in that verse. Um, I'm going to read it uh, just real quick, and then I'm going to ask if you would uh, pray with me. It says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, you have uh, been so faithful. Your forgiveness is overwhelming. Your love is never-ending. Your grace, as your word says, is sufficient, and we thank you. I thank you for that this morning. I just ask that you hide me behind your cross, that you speak through me as your mouthpiece. I just ask that your words would be spoken and that anything that you don't want to be said, uh, you would hush. Lord, I ask that you would prepare all of our hearts that we would hear your words this morning and be ready to follow your word. I thank you for this church and their willingness to uh, worship you and to praise you and to lift you up, and I just ask that you continue to use them, that you be with Jeff and Scarlett as a minister here, that you just provide their every need and strengthen them. I just ask that you give them quick healing. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to give you some background to this verse first, because if you back up in Second Chronicles 6, you'll see the prayer that Solomon prays. That brings this verse uh, later. Uh, what has happened is the people of Israel have Solomon as their king. They've built a new temple. They're, they've dedicated the temple. And the dedication prayer that Solomon offered was a prayer that sa- basically said, God, if we turn our backs on you and you bring in all of the pestilences that we have seen you do to other countries, if you bring drought and take away our food because of that, if you send us off to be slaves to another nation, when we turn back to you, bring us back to our land. Bring us back to you. And what happens is as he prays that prayer, dedicating the temple... He's got a sacrifice upon the altar. It says that a fire comes down from heaven, engulfs that sacrifice, and the power of God, the glory of God, uh, came upon the temple in such power that the priests couldn't go in to do their work. It actually says that in one place that they fell backwards to the ground upon their face because of the glory of God. No matter where we look in Scripture, when we see the full glory of God in the presence of human beings... There is nothing that they can do but fall on their face. And here, we see a king willing, uh, at even a young age, his only request is that God gives him wisdom. In the midst of God using him, he builds a new temple, and we see that he prays, Lord. He kind of knows they're going to turn their back on God at some point, but when we do, will you bring us back to you? And God's answer to that prayer is his presence immediately upon the temple and immediately uh, accepting the sacrifice and then later that night after all of the ceremonies are done it says that god came to him and he tells solomon this if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray the people of God. He he specifically calls them my people. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, he says that we have been bought with a price. Now, I understand that this text is literally speaking of the people of Israel. But what I also know is that when we get to the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it says that you're not just Jew because you were born a Jew, but by your heart. And as Christians, as people of God, if you claim the word Christian, it says they were first called Christian at Antioch, it means little Christ or it means like Christ. It's the picture of a young boy following his daddy everywhere he goes wanting to be just like daddy. The very idea of claiming Christian is that we are saying we want to be just like Christ. When we say claim Christian, it's uh, my family has done a huge study on my last name, Blankenship, and have traced it all the way back to Great Britain And we know where the family castle belonged. We know what our crest was on our shields and our swords. And when I call myself a Blankenship, it means something. And I hope everybody can say the same thing about their own last name. But when we claim Christian, we're claiming the name of God himself. And he says, those are my people because they have been bought with a price. Romans 12.1 tells us what we are to be a living sacrifice. It means that our life uh, is to say something. Not just by word, not just by the, the things that we say, but the things that we do are to make a claim of who we are. Uh, it goes back, I, I can use my name again. If you see my name in the newspaper, it's usually not a good thing that says something about the name. Well, what does it say to people when we claim Christian in our life and the way that we live? He says, if my people who are called by my name, uh, Acts 4.12 says, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What's that name? Jesus. I read a story once of a man that had walked into a McDonald's to try to get a quick bite to eat and Realized it wasn't going to be quick, it was packed. line was almost out the door, and so he decided right there he was going to run his own experiment, and he began naming off names of other gods, and Buddha, and Hedra Krishna, and and just, uh, uh, I'm going to forget some of them, but he just kept going through them and through them, and tried to stay at the same level of voice and everything in this uh, busy restaurant with the... Hustle and bustle of everybody moving around and the workers doing their thing. But when he said Jesus, everything got quiet and everybody turned and looked at him. Now, that to me says something. It says that even the world recognizes the name of Jesus. They may hate him. They may despise him. They may uh, deny the very existence of him. But when you say the name, they recognize it. They know it. We are called the people of God because of the name of Jesus. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can claim Christianity. We can claim to be a Christian because of what Jesus did. But as a Christian, in this verse, what a lot of people I hear preach this verse use it for is revival. Here, I believe that the, uh, we can look at these as also things that God expects his people to hold to. These are, uh, you might say, characteristics of a Christian that everyone should be able to see in someone that is called by the name of Christ. It says, if they will humble themselves. Sometimes I get a little long-winded, so let me get my clock out here. says humble themselves humility deals directly with a person's pride you cannot be prideful before god in all of the proverbs it actually says pride cometh before the fall and it gives us it says that statement numerous times in different ways throughout the book of proverbs and then we see that actually happen in numerous ways throughout the old and new testament Uh, to give you an example i think of uh I'm going to mess up his name, but uh, Daniel was his number two, I guess, uh, when you don't write it down. Nebuchadnezzar, thank you. Nebuchadnezzar was king, and he, it says that he stepped out and looked out and said, look at all that I have done. Look at what I have created. And it wasn't too long after that that he was running around eating like a cow, on all fours. It says that his nails grew out to such a point it looked like eagle's talons. I remember as a kid, uh, there used to be a TV show called, uh, uh, now I am having a terrible time this morning. It's uh, World Records. yeah, it might have been a Ripley's Believe It or Not show, but this guy had the world's record for the longest fingernails, and he had to walk around like this. He'd put them in bags so that to protect them, but they they were like three three foot long or something like that, and they were the nastiest looking fingernails I'd ever seen, it curled down to the ground, almost black in color from growing out that long. And I and I, when I think of Nebuchadnezzar running around on all fours, and it says that they were like eagle's talons. I always think of that guy, and I'm like, if he'd have just clipped him, he could have had eagle's talons. But we see that as a picture of God dealing with a person's pride. And a lot of times, within Christians, we become prideful. But we're to be humble One of the things that the scriptures tells us in in Micah is that we are to walk humbly with our God. I believe that the more that we grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has really done for us, we can't do anything but become more and more humble before a holy and righteous God. It it dumbfounds me at times to think, I, I grew up in a Baptist preacher's home. I was saved at the age of nine, pretty young. I'm 43 now, and I've been preaching longer than I haven't. And I could easily look. There was a time in my life that I thought, I've never done anything wrong. Except for a lie. I just did. (laughs) But we as, as Christians sometimes, we go to thinking, I've done pretty good for myself. And in doing that, we became, what we have shown is a pride in our own abilities and forgetting that God's the only one that's given us the ability in the first place. He says, if we humble ourselves and pray. Prayer deals directly with our prayerlessness. How often do we pray? Do we pray to God... Only when we come to church on Sundays, maybe at our meals, sit down as a family, I hope everybody here still sits down as a family at least once a week and and prays. I finished a uh, biography of Leonard Ravenhill not too long ago. Anybody know who Leonard Ravenhill is it says that it, He uh, died in 1997. He uh, grew up in Wales and uh, started his ministry in Wales. He later came to the United States, and the first church he preached at was, I think, in the 50s at A.W. Tozer's church in Chicago. It is said that every day of his life, of his ministry, he spent eight hours in his study in prayer. I'm not there. <laughs> there are other men of old uh, that God greatly used. It that, that says that they spent hours upon hours daily in their studies, in prayer and in the Word of God. We sang a song that said uh, we have burdens upon ourselves because we won't give, take everything to the Lord. Why do we worry? Why do we uh, have anxiety when we have a God that is in control of everything and He says, "Just bring it to Me"? Why do we not pray? If we, if we as Christians truly believe the Word of God as and it being God's Word, why don't we pray? Why do we not go before our God before our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer, the creator of the universe, more often? I'm going to give you some of my own answers. One of them's pride. I can handle it myself. Or, uh, he's too busy to deal with this. I'll take care of it. There's a lot of things that can get in our way of prayer. Did you know that as husbands, the scriptures tells us that the way that we treat our wives can stop God from hearing our prayers. 2nd Peter chapter 3 If we are not being a godly leader within our home the way God designed us to be it can put a halt on the way God hears us. God told the people of Israel that because of their sins, it has separated him from them so that he doesn't hear their prayers. I think one of the reasons, and I'm going to just make a guess here, that one of the greatest reasons that people don't pray is they don't feel like God's hearing their prayers. We come to a point in our life where It's going to the ceiling in our house or our home or our prayer closet or wherever it is, and that's as far as it gets. God's not answering my prayer. So why do I need to go to Him? I think maybe the next thing might bring us to a better chance of prayer. It says to seek God's face. When my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek God's face, what's it mean to seek God's face? In Matthew 6.33, it says, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, if you go back a few verses, uh, he tells the people, Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will drink. Don't worry about what you will wear. All of these things have been taken care of. He even uses the birds and the lilies of the field and Solomon and to say, you know, the birds have all the food that they can eat. The lilies of the field are clothed better than Solomon in all of his glory. And God's going to do that for you. He says, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the same thing as seeking God's face. Seeking the kingdom of God. And that so kind of brings us to another question. What's the kingdom of God? You are. If you are called by the name of Jesus, if you are a Christian, you are a part of the kingdom of God. When Paul writes his letters to all of the churches, he continually calls them saints. I write to the saints at Galatia. I write write to the saints Philippi I write to the saints at Ephesus you are a part of that kingdom not you're not looking forward to being a part of you are currently a part of the kingdom of God if you know Jesus if you claim Christian have been bought by the blood of Christ you are a part of the kingdom of God living it right now I feel like, let me back up. I know in my own life at times, I have come to a point where I go, really, am I a part of the kingdom right now? Because there's times that I'm like, man, I can't wait to get to heaven. When all of the things are gone, all of the worries of this life are done. You don't have to, Worry about anything that's on your plate. Yeah, I'm looking at a group of people that I know you have had worries on your plate. If you're alive, you've had some type of a worry. As a husband, you you worry about making sure your wife is cared for, that there's food on the table, and things like that. And you say, "Well, you just read a verse that He said He would take care of that." Yeah. Doesn't change the fact that we worry about it, right? And we have to quote that verse back to ourselves on a regular basis to say, God says He will take care of this. You seek the kingdom of God. So why don't we live the kingdom of God now? He says, If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek God's face to seek the righteousness of God, it's not my righteousness, it's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. To think that Jesus came to earth, God incarnate, our minds can't wrap around that, but God incarnate and lived and fulfilled every part of the law as God and as man for one purpose, to reconcile us back to God. When he was born in that manger, even as a babe, we we can see it ten years later when he's with his parent or whenever his parents take him into Jerusalem and they leave him there because he's busy at the temple teaching. At twelve, his very goal and his very purpose was to make a beeline to the cross. You ever see somebody moving? Like they've got a purpose in life, and they, you're like, there's something going on there. I'll give you a for instance. Last week, I was getting ready to leave the church that I've been attending. And I look in my rearview mirror, and I just see two guys running across uh, the parking lot. And these are two guys that I've heard say, if I'm running, somebody's chasing me. And so I'm looking, and I'm going, something ain't right. And about that time, a vehicle rolls by. Uh, a little girl had gotten into the truck and it's a stick shift and kicked it out of gear and it's rolling down the hill and these two guys were chasing it. One jumped through the window and got it stopped before she had completely gone over the curb and into another yard. Those people were moving with a purpose. That was what Jesus was doing when he was born was he was making a beeline to the cross because his purpose was to present his righteousness before God Almighty, God the Father, on our behalf. Corinthians says that He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He says, "Seek my face, seek my righteousness." These are characteristics that every Christian ought to show. That when somebody from the outside's looking in, they're going, "There's something different about that person." The second thing, or the third thing is that God's faithfulness. He says, if my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. There's your promise. That when you are seeking the face of God, when you are seeking his righteousness, he says, I'll hear you. We don't always get the answer we want, though, do we? says uh, there's uh, always three possible answers. Yes, no, or wait. And we all hate the wait. And all you know, you want to know a guaranteed way to get the wait? Pray for patience. One of the uh, God's Not Dead movies. There's a scene where uh, they are interviewing or questioning a priest on the stands in a courtroom, and they ask him about praying for patience. And he says, yeah, I prayed for patience and God answered my prayer by giving me people I needed to be patient with. Yes, I prayed for strength and God gave me scenarios in my life that I had to build strength up for. I prayed for faith and God put me in areas that I had to rely on him. He gives us a promise that when we seek his face, when we humble ourselves before him and recognize him for who he is, in our life he will hear our prayers and he'll answer them maybe just not the way you want them he'll hear from heaven forgive our sins to me that's the greatest thing that he can do for us we don't recognize how sinful of people we really are like I said I grew up in a Baptist preacher's home and I know preacher's kids have got a bad name for themselves sorry Jeff I had a wild streak in me. At the age of 15, I knew God was calling me to preach. At the age of 17, I told him I wasn't doing it. See how that worked out for me. And for three years, I ran. To such an extent that there was a day I picked up the Bible and knew I needed to read it, but he showed me a sermon outline. And I chucked it across the room and said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. I won't do it. See, I'd been hurt by church. I'd seen people get into fist fights at church over whether to put a roof on the parsonage or not. Over whether to put a roof on the parsonage or rehab a bathroom. I'd seen them get into... Arguments over whether to paint a house, uh, the inside walls white or pink. Explain something to me. Why would you want to paint a wall pink? In a church. In a church building. And the reason that happens within our churches, within our that's a family group. A church is really a family group. The reason that happens is we we have forgotten what we have been forgiven of. We have forgotten that what the scriptures tells us is that I am the worst of all sinners, just like Paul said. And if you can't look at yourself in light of the scripture and say, just as Paul did, I am the greatest of all sinners, you don't realize what you have been forgiven of. When Jesus, in the midst of all of the wrong that he was being done, hanging upon the cross after he had been beaten and bloodied and bruised by the people that had followed him for three years, and nailed to a cross, he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I tend to think that every single day he probably looks at me and says, Father, forgive him. He don't know what he's doing. Jesus says he will forgive us and heal our land. Our land needs healing. When we look across the United States I, I noticed there is a veteran here. I'm not going to ask you to reveal yourself, but I think I am thankful for the men and women willing to defend our our country and our constitution. We have a constitution that gives us the right to stand here and preach Jesus. And I'll stand beside you and defend that right to my death if I have to. But when we look at our country, look across our nation, I may be one of the greatest patriots you have ever seen in your lifetime, but there's something wrong with our country. And in all reality, the church needs to take the blame because as the church goes, so goes the nation. When the church sits in their pews and aren't willing to say anything, when the nation is willing to toss God to the side, The church has to take the responsibility. When the church is willing to come to church every Sunday and sit in the pews and listen to the Word of God, but leave and never show humility and never uh, pray and not really seek God's face, never recognize the wickedness of themselves and turn from the evil of their own actions, the church has to take the responsibility. I'd like to have a hymn of invitation. I don't, I'm not sure I've ever heard Jeff preach before, but uh, I'm sure that we're a little different in the way we do things. If you'll come on and. I'd, I want to preach to the church, because when it comes to church time, when it comes to us being here, the very idea of Scripture is that when we come together, it's for the church. We are here to encourage each other. We're here to lift each other up. We're here to call each other to a closer walk with Jesus. And what Paul said is, if one comes from outside, that they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I do want to offer that chance that if anyone here has never given their life to Jesus, if you have never uh, put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you can't look back on your life and say, on this day, Jesus saved me. Today, he's calling. He says, anyone that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And he's calling to you today if you'll just come.